and welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. I'm Ryan Byer and I'll be your host for this episode. So as some people may already be aware, Perform, the company that owns OptiPro, has recently merged with Stats. Uh, the benefit of that is we've been able to lure Paul Power, AI scientist at Stats, onto the show as our, as our first guest in this new world. So Paul, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ryan. I've been uh, looking forward to uh, to joining Rather than just looking envious from afar, <laughs> and you've been in the you've been in this space for for many years without wanting to sort of call you old as such, but you've been around for a fair while, haven't you? Yeah, I've been called worse, but uh, yeah, I've been doing this for about five years, working for uh, what used to be Prozone, and then was blogging before that as well. Good stuff. So uh, yeah, great to have you on, and alongside Paul is Bradford Griffiths. So Brad was originally part of the, the Scout 7 team, joined Dr. Pro uh, some 18 months or so ago and has led a lot of the work around the uh, technology side, product development side. Brad, welcome to Three at the Back. Thanks very much for having me, Ryan. It's about time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's about two years overdue, but just be grateful that you're here, I think it's the important thing. I'd like to do a little, a little quick-fire question to get things underway. We are recording uh, the Monday before the fourth test starts, um, and we've got probably two people that are going to give an interesting answer. So um, what's going to happen? Paul, you can start. Uh, so I think... Uh, one thing you can guarantee is I don't think we'll be able to predict it <laughs> in terms of who's going to collapse, who's not going to collapse. But you, you've got to say, I think the, the big thing is got to land on is Smith. So if Smith plays, I think Australia might have to be favourites. But uh, will he want to play against Archer again? I, I'm not really sure. Um, so I, I, I'll go if, if, if he's not playing, I, I think England are, are probably just going to wedge it. And Brad? Well, I mean, the, the odd, it is very balanced, um, and I completely agree with Paul. I mean, predicting it is just a nightmare. Uh, you've got a phenomenal bowler in Archer. Uh, I mean, what Stokes did in the last test was, um, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch. I think if, uh, if Warner can get double figures, and uh, <laughs> if Labrachain can actually make the team whilst Steve Smith comes back, I think we've got a very strong um, a batting thing, but obviously Archer is always a, uh, a threat. Um, but I'm going to put my money on Australia, but we're going to make very hard work of it. <laughs> we'll make it look like England are going to win. And I'm sure you'll be a delight in the office over that five-day period. Absolutely. So let's, let's get started. Um, our new world, we've obviously brought together the team from OptiPro, the wider Perform team, and the, the team from Stats. And I want to talk a bit about an area that from the Stats side has been a bit of a speciality, a lot of work's been done behind the scenes, but it's also a bit of a, a, bit of a buzzword in our industry, and that's AI. So in terms of what is it, how can it be applied, how is it relevant within professional football, how can teams, leagues, federation use it to inform decision making, enhance process and so on. We'll start with the very basics, which is what is it and what does it mean as a, as a sort of standalone concept? I mean, I think AI is certainly a, a term that we throw around very loosely these days. And in essence, all AI is, is teaching computers to do tasks that would normally be performed by humans. Uh, and there's many benefits in doing that. And the obvious one is, you know, everyone uses Google Maps or Apple Maps these days. But there was a time before that where you used to look up a street directory and you'd plan your own best route. Uh, so that's, that's a really good example of how AI has come to help us in everyday lives. And there's so many applications in sport, which we're going to get to in more detail uh, later on. But yeah, it's, it's just uh, teaching computers to help us perform functions that normally we would. 
Excellent, Paul. And in, in that context, how has it been for you and your world for the last sort of three or four years behind the scenes? How have you been introducing that concept into sport, that first uh, application and, and that side of things? Yeah, no, I think first of all, what Bradford said is, is pretty bang on. But in terms of how uh, you know things have really ramped up, uh, it's, it's been huge changes in terms of uh, the research and the science that's now uh, pouring out. So people may be aware of something called neural networks. Uh, if not, don't worry. But basically, these tools that allow us to model really allow us to model really complex behaviours. Um, so we always get a great uh, question whenever I present, you know, maybe to a coach or to an analyst. And, uh, you know, it might be, well, you, you can't model human interactions. You know, you can't model a centre-forward making a, a run-off of, of a centre-back, you know, to get to the back post. But, you know, then you remind them, well, you know, we managed to land on the moon and uh, fly, you know, uh, off to Mars as well and broadcast pictures back. And, you know, I think this is what kind of AI is allowing us to do. You know, we can take these principles that, you know, humans can do, you know, pretty well, but basically supercharge them. Uh, and I think this is the real key thing. Uh, and what AI is hopefully bringing, you know, in terms of the sports world is it's helping us speed things up uh, and replacing tasks that, you know, used to take us maybe 10, 12, 14 hours to do. You know, we can do these in minutes instead. So I think that's what's really cool about AI. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that Paul made there, where if you think about just in the professional football space, you know, the number of analysts, how many hours they're spending tagging video. If AI can take that piece over by identifying the events and tracking the players, then, you know, the analysts and everyone else involved can actually spend their time on answering sport questions as opposed to doing the preparatory work before they even ask them. So, for example, if I'm looking at a particular team's build-up style, hypothetically, say, um, rather than taking all the time, you know, manually accessing all those clips and looking through when the goalkeeper plays a pass within 20 yards to a centre-back that leads to another pass to a full-back, for example, rather than identifying those and turning them into something uh, a bit more friendly in terms of being able to do the analysis from, that process is now taken away and, and looks after itself. Is that, is, is that a fair understanding? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, you know, an, an analyst will define their own metrics as to what build-up play might be, for example. And there's no reason that we can't train a computer to identify those things as well. So if build-up play is the fact that you maintain possession for a certain amount of time, you're in a certain area of the pitch, uh, whatever that is, those can just be fed into a, a neural network or into a machine. And then the machine can look at all of the data evolves around that game. It can even collect it off the video. Uh, and instead of being instead of taking you know two hours to do one match, it can take a number of minutes to do a match. So it could look back through all of the video um, and pull out trends a lot more quickly and create that create that data. Excellent, and Paul. I know you've done a lot of work on on playing styles and those and, and sort of looking at how teams play from a tactical perspective using more coach language. Is this something you see uh, an overlap with? Yeah, hundred percent. So I think one of the biggest issues that we have, as Bradford said there, is is generating you know what you'd call a label. So a label is how we define something. But um, you know, as we've just said there before, your build up is different to my build up, which is different to uh, Bradford's build up. So how do we actually marry this? Now at the moment, we'll use a lot of uh, kind of rules, for example. You know, so it might be for argument's sake, a build up has to start in your own defensive third, has to go into the middle third and have a final third entry, you know, which, which sounds pretty simple. But all build-ups are going to look very different. So some might be quick, some might be slow, some might be direct, some could be out wide, some could go forwards, backwards, 
out wide, back through the middle, <laughs> back again, switch, and then eventually you lose possession. So even just looking at something as simple as a build-up, it's, it's really, really complex. So I think the beauty is where we're at now, and you can start to see this in some of the, the tools that we're releasing, so particularly in, in like Edge, which we've been working on for a couple of years, is that the user can define it themselves. So use the video. This is the language that everybody understands. You know, everyone understands video because you see the ball, you see the players. So let's look at the video and then go, okay, let's pause it here. This is what I'm defining as my build-up. So rather than like, you know, say stats or opta, defining what a build-up is, that's what the user does. That can then get stored and then constantly used each time. And then, for example, when they change or say if a new manager comes in or whatever, that definition can then be updated. And I think this is really where we're getting to really exciting stuff because I know speaking to a lot of coaches, a lot of analysts, you know, they don't mind these definitions, but they'll come back and say, well, this doesn't really fit how we work. You know, our thirds are different, for example, how we break up the pitch. Can you, you know, create something specific to us? And for us as providers, it's really difficult because you're trying to get something that captures everybody, but as a result, you also miss out everybody because <laughs> everyone's got slightly different definitions. So th this ability to use the video, use the tracking data that we have where we, you know, obviously capture where everybody is on the pitch when they're running and then the ball data, combining that to just allow the user to define it himself or herself. I think that that's really cool. And that's where we're at actually right now. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. I think, as you said, sort of coaches and, and managers all have different expectations. Obviously, we know that management level it is, you know, the, the term you're not going to be at a club forever. So just understanding how it can help different groups within a within a football club or other sports as well. And seeing how this this new way of thinking, this new approach to how we use technology to make a difference, how that can be applied sort of across a football club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, and you know, coming from the Scout Seven side of the fence, I mean, we were always quite heavy on customization. So all the tools that we provided were about providing our clients with the ability to collect information, manage information, and process information in, in the way they want to. And uh, I think Paul was spot on when he was mentioning before that, well, if we actually just provide, you know, we provide all the underlying um, logic or tech uh, and we allow the, uh, the clients to actually make those decisions around what it is for them, you know, they then can benefit from how they want to play football. And this comes to sort of, you know, they want to answer sports questions. They don't want to answer technology questions. So for them, they don't care really about you've got all these data points. They want to know, well, how can I use those to affect performance on the pitch? Yeah, definitely. And you, you can see it permeating through the different levels in clubs, you know, so from the, you know, the execs. So the execs basically want, you know, a, an overview, an executive overview of what's going on in the club. So previously they might have had lots of different, you know, for example, Excel sheets, quite a lot of complex uh, bits of information to digest, but we should just be able to cut through that and just be able to find specifically what is it that that individual needs what is it that's important to them? How can that then be presented back, you know, in the most digestible way? But, you know, all that then gets fed in from the, the knowledge uh, and the intelligence within that organisation. So I think some people get scared of AI, thinking that it's coming to take people's jobs. And, you know, there's no doubt it will replace people in certain aspects, but it's in kind of more mundane tasks, as Bradford said before. So rather than sitting down and coding a game, you know, which we know a lot of analysts still do, and it might take them, you know, what, five, eight hours to do, you know, which is a huge undertaking. Let's do that automatically. 
but we need to learn off the actual analysts and coaches' intelligence. You know, they have to still inject their football knowledge, which then allows us to train the models, and then that then feeds all the way up the chain to eventually, you know, whether it's the chief executive, you know, director of football, head coach, whatever it is. And that's really the you know the ecosystem that we're now starting to move towards. Excellent. And I think you see that in in I suppose sports beyond football as well, that the analyst will often be involved in the data capture which obviously limits their time to do the job that they are that they would be best at. I think um, not only have analysts got you know a good good skill set and a good understanding tactically of the game, but they're also the people that know exactly what management and coaches require of their players, what's intentional, what's not, what's good, what's bad, and so on. And I'm, I suppose this would allow them to to basically do that to a to greater degree than they can currently. Yeah, and it then allows the analysts to enrich it. So, you know, I think this is one thing uh, that you see a lot of people saying AI can do everything. You, you know, it can't. <laughs> AI can only do what you teach it to do, really. And then from that, you know, it might be able to do recommendations, you know, which is really cool. But at the end of the day, you still need that human to add that real, you know, additional context on top of it. And that's really what we should be freeing up the analysts and the coaches to do is to go to that additional depth and to allow them to actually disseminate that information with the players uh, with the coaches or, or whoever's really there to engage with it. And when you when you mentioned recommendations, my head an inst- instantly went to the idea of of recruitment and how this might help clubs on, on that area. Um, could you share a bit more about that and what that might look like and how that might benefit teams? So I think um, so. Our vice president of AI, Patrick Lucy, he always has a great quote. I can't remember who it was from, but uh, we're now basically in the era of recommendation. So you look at stuff like Netflix, YouTube, Google. Everything is recommending something for you to, you know, either watch or uh, buy based on your previous experiences, what you've done, and then the beauty of that is, is rather than just looking at you specifically, you know, it might generalize you to a wider group, so it can hopefully give better recommendations. And that's exactly, you know, what we're basically trying to do with player recruitment now. So, you know, what we could do is maybe a club might say, actually, we want to buy this type of player. You know, so they might have had, for example, the passing range of Steven Gerrard with uh, the dribbling skills of Ronaldo and, you know, the tackling of Kante. Obviously, that play doesn't exist, but, <laughs> you know, th- this is the principle. <laughs> so you can. thought it was Scott McTominay. Yeah, of course, of course. How do I forget? Uh, <laughs> but um, these are the principles. So, you know, let the users can define these key attributes or skills that they want to find. We can then plug that in uh, to a model. And then this model can actually come back and give recommendations on, well, there's these players. Uh, these actually fit, you know, within a certain degree of accuracy, what you're looking for. Uh, and then the beauty is, is that this then allows the, the user to ask further questions. So it could be, okay, these guys might be similar, but actually... This one's in South Korea. You know, this guy's playing in Mexico. He's in Holland. So the next level is, and this is where we're really starting to get to, is, okay, if somebody from South Korea has all these attributes, if I buy them, will they be able to do it in the Premier League? You know, gut feeling will say probably not. But we're now finding that a lot of really great players are coming from a lot of different leagues. You know, it isn't just Spain, you know, Germany, Italy or France. They're coming from a much wider area. So... The whole idea now is with you know using AI and machine learning, we should actually be able to model what happens if we now take player A and drop them in to a new team and in a new league, what will actually happen there and then how will that actually impact the rest of my players. I think moving to that, which is the work that we're doing now, th- this is really, really cool. 
and then this is hopefully will allow us to actually engage further with the scouts, you know, with the uh, directors of football. Yeah, I mean, and just from the Opta Pro side, I mean, we approaching the exact same challenge or question around recommendations, but from a slightly different angle. And if you look at the ISF as a player database, there's over 1 million players in there. And how do you as a scout, what are your first questions to get a, a, a smaller list of players that you want to start analysing? And it's very simple things like, you know, understanding, you know, firstly, what clubs you work for? What's the playing style of your club? What's your transfer history like? What's your profile through the ISF? Like, do you only look for players in certain regions? So it's just understanding some really basic things where you can then go, well, and all the recommendation is, is, well, here's a player that could be potentially interesting. And these are, these are the reasons why we've given him to you. So we're not making any decisions for you. We're just saying that we're just trying to help you with your workload and go, well, you, know, you don't need to go through a million players. Obviously, that's, phys- that's physically impossible for anyone to do. Um, but what we can do is we, you know, we know you're looking for a certain position. We know you're looking for a certain age bracket. We know your club transfer history. We know your spending power and things like that. So these may be interesting to you. And you can use the, the, the AI aspect at you know, an individual level, so recognizing how a person's profile, like in Netflix and Amazon, so you, know, you can use it at a club level, so you can sort of profile the club, their playing style and things like that. And then you can also use it to actually say, well, how would a player, we found a player over here if he thinks, but you know, he's playing in, um, I think Paul said, the Korean league, and we're trying to move into this league. How, do we have any information on how players uh, you know, make a move from those leagues or how do we compare those leagues so th- there's all these different there's a number of layers upon which we can apply this tech uh, which can really help effectively make a recommendation and I suppose it might be the same principle and logic if I'm looking at a how a player might perform if we take them from one league and put them into another could I potentially look at how a player performs at 17-18 and have a more accurate projection of what they're going to do come 25, come 26. If you look at the extent of the data we've got on players and their career history, you can start, we can now start looking at, well, are there trends between a way a, way a player performs, and that is who they play, what clubs they're playing for, do they go out on loan or not, what's their sort of typical appearance percentage, and you can start to model that. Uh, and using very basic data, which is almost just appearance data, you can start to say, well, this player is likely to go down this path purely because of his career history up to that point. And the amount of archive data we've got to test those models and to verify those models is significant. And that's really exciting. Excellent. And I suppose, Paul, you've, alongside your, you know, your current role, you've got a background that expands into coaching as well. So a lot more uh, on the applied area, um, on the training ground with players. Has this impacted the way that you've worked when you've been developing frameworks, looking at how it can be applied, be used? How has that coaching element of you sort of fed into this world? Unfortunately, I coach, well, I don't coach at all right now. (laughs) So I was going to say coach a lot less than I used to. But I think what is interesting with this, and this is kind of working with other coaches, um, you know, whether it's at national federations or with clubs, the first element is is generating better evidence-based coaching practices and principles so for example working with one national federation we were actually able to better analyze like build-ups and shooting patterns and then from that we were able to actually go back and review um their actual training methods for you know how they got into the area where they actually shoot from and they actually tore it up and rebuilt it again because they actually found that they were kind of um coaching failure so where they were actually doing the shooting sessions from is actually where 
they generally wouldn't score. And it's not just them, it's, it's nobody scores, you know, from certain areas outside the penalty box. But also in terms of uh, how they actually created uh, the chances as well. So because we were able to, you know, go and review, you know, this mountain of data, they were able to actually use that as objectives. That we were able to then find key principles that led to success or failure. So it could have been, you know, the speed of an attack, the, the zones that they met, different combinations of passes. But the beauty was, is rather than that then just being data, that became a coaching point. So they could then use these, you know, references to actually help them better design a session. Um, there's a really great example, and a paper's just been released on it, where they've used our tracking data, and it's to help define a better um, design of pitch areas. So, you know, a lot of games that are used is small-sided games. So, you know, whether it's 5v5, 7v7, you know, with their specific objective. So, you know, a really great thing that they've done is they've been at, at different moments in the game, they've been able to draw like bounding boxes around where the players are on the pitch. So using the tracking data and, you know, given whether it's a counter attack, say if it's a long build up or, you know, you're really hemming in the opposition with that, you know, really sustained attack, you can then actually, based on those, uh, based on those contexts, you can actually say, okay, what size would this pitch be? Now people say, well, what do you mean? The pitch is one size. It is, but if you actually look at it and use the players as your boundaries, that pitch expands and it also tightens up. So you know, for example, when you defend, the whole idea is to become tight and compact, whereas when you attack, you expand. So the pitch is constantly dynamically flowing when you play. So they've actually been able to capture that, and they now use that, not just with the first team, but that's been applied all the way through the academy as well. So when they're working on a specific topic, a certain number of players, they then have this recommendation for this is actually how we should set up the pitch to actually kind of antagonize the key principles that we want our players to learn. So I think, you know, that kind of application is just ridiculously cool. And that's really what we should be trying to do more of. And I mean, I, I think, you know, what Paul's talking about there is hugely exciting. And, and that throws up a, um, you know, you can extend that to a few more concepts where you, you're actually starting to talk about assessing or analysing decision making. So, you know, how are players making decisions and you know this whole this whole concept of you know the pitch size and everything and and the player's ability to to make decisions in high pressure and low pressure situations you know that's that that's the stuff that really coaches are trying to answer like it's it's how their players performing and a big part of that is the decisions they're making and how they're working as a team and and this is this for me is probably one of the most exciting areas of ai yeah and i think as well to that it's going to actually uh, enhance the way that the coaches think so, you know, we know, particularly at the, the pro level, the, the knowledge that the coaches have is, is phenomenal. But sometimes, you know, you might design a session because you think it does X, but actually it doesn't even do Y, it doesn't even do Z. <laughs> it does something completely different to what you're actually expecting it to do. So the ability to start to measure that and to say, well, actually, if you design something this way instead, that will actually generate the the outputs that you're using and then i think where where we are getting to so one thing that the the group it's that has been working on is uh, is pose so pose is basically being able to automatically detect uh, like the 3d skeleton from video footage and you know the idea now is, is that you can kind of get this full uh 3d representation of the body and the beauty is it's kind of just off video so you could imagine you know what once we get there you know this is going to be a bit by bit but if you actually had that at the youth level, you know, straight away, you can think of this for a goalkeeper. So if we're, you know, capturing how the goalkeeper actually moves, you know, how did it make the body big? How did it crouch? What's the reaction time to jump? 
what foot are they actually pressing off with? And then you can apply that to outfielders. You know, you, the classic one I always get when I'm pe- speaking to coaches is, okay, he's received the ball, but is his body open? And we can't answer that with the data we have because the tracking at the moment, you just get this two-dimensional dot. That's it. You don't know what direction they're facing. You, you can proxy it, you know, for, for whether they're running or whatever. But being able to get this whole body pose information, you know, are they receiving on the front foot, back foot, safe side? How do they then open up the body uh, to open up the picture? Uh, what happens with the shoulders? And, you know, the level that we're going to be able to get to, A, it's really cool from an AI side because this stuff is, like, awesome. It looks great. But from the coaches' ability and the talent developers, the talent scouts, for them to really start to push the bar and ask uh, these key questions that they've always had in the mind. They've always had these, but we've never truly been able to answer them probably. I think that's really exciting. So where we might be in terms of talent development over the next five to 10 years, yeah, I just think that's mouth-watering. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the context that gives you um, to what's happening in the game is, is, is significant. You know, there's no point saying a player's here if he's looking in the wrong direction, can't even see the ball. Yeah, I think just even just off the back of that, you can sort of things that you begin to think about that you can that you can begin to quantify as well. So things that we might believe to be true, we'll know what's good and what's bad. Um, you know, are, is there a certain way that you'll be able to do something in one touch that takes a lot of players two touches? Um, the areas you don't go into, for example, when a player's running onto a ball, where that ball should be played into and how they should run onto that to maintain the momentum. Just instantly you get loads of different areas that over the next number of years that will have a uh, almost a black and white answer to to a certain degree. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you think you know, humans are visual, I mean, all that contextual information that we're only really just starting to get our fingers on in terms of AI, that's what coaches are doing day in, day out. They're watching their players on the pitch and whether consciously or subconsciously, they're using that information you know, to, to help their training coaches, to help their coaching sessions and to Paul's point before, but a lot of it was probably completely missed in understanding the relevance of some of it or how it's applied to actually affect those coaching sessions for better for better performance and education for players. Have we seen any other sports that have particularly progressed in, in terms of applying AI or um, other areas that you can see it working in as well? So obviously the American sports are always you know leaders at it. Uh, you know It's kind of in their DNA, isn't it, to work with data and stats. Baseball is obviously doing a, a, an awful lot. So they've used kind of this 3D uh, body pose stuff for a little while, looking at pitches and catches. Uh, but even now, you, you can see it being used to broadcast, which is really cool. So um, there's a really nice one looking at running efficiency. So when a ball is hit, what's the fielder's efficiency to actually run to where that ball's going to land? You know, do they go in a big arc or do they actually go in a straight line? Uh, do they stop and stutter? So just those little things for the, the fan to engage with, I think is really cool. Again, uh, yeah, NFL is starting to now because they've got tracking data is, is kind of you know dipping their toes into it. Uh, I would definitely say football is only dipping its toes into it. There's still a, a long way to go, but you can see certain clubs, you know, the likes of yeah, Liverpool, who are doing phenomenal stuff with their data science departments. Probably the the, the best ones is Formula One, uh, you know, and you see that in terms of if you watch uh, the racing and, and also sailing. Uh, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys watched uh, the America's Cup at all or, or anything like that. Like, you see all the visuals that they put on and how they're, they're modelling the weather, you know, and using that to generate predictions on, well, what do we have to do in terms of where we sail to next? You know, all those type of things, it's it's crazy. And, you know, th- that's all in real time as well. So that that's probably the next vanguard for a number of sports is, A, 
let's establish it. But B, how can we then act on stuff in real time as well? Yeah, I think you know there's there's certain sports or sequences of events lend themselves to collect information more easily, and things like basketball where you've got sort of defined movement through, even baseball is probably even easier to understand where you know you've you've got a pitcher and a batter, and a pitcher has a number of options and a batter has a number of options. Uh, that's a very different scenario to football where you've got 22 players all moving around the pitch and influencing each other. So I think certainly in terms of uh, testing beds and, and finding some you know really useful and exciting insights. Some of those um, American sports, which seem to be more static, like even if you look at NFL, you know it's very start-stop. Uh, the basketball's a much sort of smaller pitch, and you've got some very standard moves like pick and rolls and things like that. Uh, I think those things uh, certainly can be fantastic testing beds and R and D grounds for this sort of stuff because verification could potentially be easier. Uh, but, you know, that's only going to, as we get better and better, that's only going to improve and, and, and spread out into other sports. Excellent. I think that's a really nice place to, to wrap it up. That was, yeah, that was really informative, engaging, and really exciting, actually, in terms of what, how this, how this particular part of the industry is going to evolve over the, uh, the coming months and years and so on. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having us on. Brad, thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. And looking forward to finding out what happens in the ashes. Thank you for listening.